This program is brought to you by Brining Institute, which has provided higher education, training, testing, and certification for addiction professionals since 1986. Hey everybody, welcome to the Brining Institute. Uh, this morning's topic will be ethics and boundaries, and I um, hope everybody will enjoy, and uh, thanks for coming. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Armand, and I'm the Director of Education and Training for CAR. And Mike's invited me over to talk today about ethics and, and boundaries, and so that's kind of what we're going to work with. I put it up on PowerPoint so you didn't have to struggle with the handout, although those handouts are exactly what the PowerPoint is, so you'll have that. Uh, there's probably not a lot of real note-taking that you need to do, and that's okay, because I really... Uh, would much rather entertain you than have you staring down at the paper and writing, okay? Um, I gave you three handouts, the, the main one for this, then I gave you Brining's ca uh, Code of Conduct, and I also gave you the one that the state calls the Minimum Requirements Code of Conduct. And throughout this thing, the one that, that I'm using for the display is the CAS code, but it is really, all three of them are basically the same. The, uh, the language is a little bit different, the order's a little bit different. But the reason I'm using the CAS one up on the board is because it goes into some more in-depth explanation of each one of the standards. And that's what I really want to do today, is make sure everybody's kind of on the same page. I was the chairman of the Ethics Committee for a long time, and I did a lot of work with the state, and you know, ethical, uh, considerations are the number one problem. And that's not to say that counselors are bad, but what the point is is that we sometimes blur those lines and those areas get a little bit gray. That's what I want to look at today more than anything else because what, you, what happens is we get into a situation where it's tough to follow one point of ethics and you run into another one. So it's kind of a dilemma. We're going to look at that a little bit today. But on the first two pages of your handout, you'll see a little pre and post test. So just take a second. There's only four questions. Just take a second. Take a look at those four questions. But the reason I wrote, I have those four questions is because it'll, it'll, it'll cause some, some conversation. And that's the idea. Because they're very simple questions if you look at them. But they're questions that... that because of the way we operate, ethics is really the foundation of what we do. That and confidentiality is all we have to stand on in this industry. So the first one is counselors bound to report unethical or unprofessional behaviors in violation of the code of conduct. Only if he or she actually witnesses the violation. Number two, the counselor cannot ma manipulate participants to adopt beliefs and behaviors which reflect the counselor's personal value system. A counselor cannot become involved financially, romantically, or sexually with a program participant for at least one year after they were admitted into the program. After they were admitted into the program. And the fourth one is a counselor should not advise anyone beyond the training or experience as a certified counselor. These two, in general, are the ones that are most affected 
by across the state. These two are the ones that create the most problems. So we'll kind of look at that as the day goes on. Um, when you think about ethics and boundaries, you have to think about the circumstances that, that surround it as well. So I put this up here, be prepared to discuss any ethical boundary situation that you have dealt with while working in the AOD field. I just want you to think about those things as we go through the next couple, three hours, but have this at the back of your mind because it's going to drive a lot of the stuff we do and it may give you a different, it may enlighten you and it may give you a different perspective. My, my objective today is to, is to provoke thought and that's really the bottom line because the more we think about the things that we need to do, the better chances are that we will continue to do those and ultimately the client is the one that, that gets the satisfaction out of it. If it's always about client first, I think we have a better understanding of what we need to do for that person. So integrity is a big part of what we talk about. A certified counselor is dedicated to uphold the dignity and worth of all human beings and pledges to provide quality services for the welfare and betterment of all members of society. That's really wordy. What it boils down to is being a decent human being. You know, I, I operate around ethics all the time, you guys, day in, day out. And for me, what it boils down to is being a, just a decent human being, right? Doing no harm, being fair and reasonable, that sort of stuff. All of you working in the field currently, I'd be willing to bet you that of the 25 or so people in this room, that you have crossed the boundary of your code of conduct at least once. It may not have caused any damage and it may not have caused any harm, but I'm willing to bet that everybody in the room, including me, has either bumped up to them really close or have walked over them, right? The bottom piece of that is a certified counselor shall refrain from the undertaking of any activity where personal conduct, including the use of alcohol and or illicit drugs, including the use of alcohol and or illicit drugs is likely to result in providing inferior services or constitute a violation of the law. Not with a show of hands, but one, some of one of the things I want you to think about as a lot of folks in our industry, in our field, sobriety isn't what drives their lives. In other words, they may not be members of Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or whatever anonymous. And they do have the ability to consume alcohol off the job. And that's something that we have to keep in mind because not everybody that, that works in this field are in sobriety. So this takes on kind of a, a, a little bit different meaning, right? And I don't know what your personal prejudices are or your personal judgments or whatever the case may be, but that's something that we have to know and something that we have to be able to deal with as the day goes on. So you have to keep that in mind too. When you think about the use of alcohol in our industry, for the most part, everybody just thinks it's absurd. But according to the state regulations and according to the code of conduct, if you have not self-disclosed as a person in sobriety, you're not breaking the code. 
until you cross the line. In other words, get gassed. So you have to keep that in mind. And, and what about your personal prejudice? What about your colleagues? What about your coworkers? What about your boss? What if they do enjoy a glass of wine with their meal? Does that make them any less a person? Or does that make them incapable of providing the services that we provide on a day-to-day -day basis? It's things to think about. When you think about that from our point of view, and you know what, you guys, I gotta be honest with you, I'm, a, I'm an AA guy, in and out, throughout. It saved my life, I understand it, I trust it, but that doesn't drive my professional perspective. Can you draw that line? Because if you can't, you need to think about it. Because if you can't draw that line and be open-minded enough to, to understand that we're all not in sobriety, it's going to be real difficult to get along with your coworkers. And we'll talk about that a little more as we go down the line. And then the caveat to all this is the second part of this integrity standard. Drugs or medication prescribed by a physician or other person authorized to prescribe drugs or any over-the-counter drugs or medication shall only be used in the dosage and frequency prescribed or on the box, bottle, or package insert. That's a little tough for some of us because a lot of us think that if it affects you from the shoulders up, it's a bad thing. Correct? How can that be? That's a question that we have to ask ourselves and one that we have to entertain in order for the, the staff to be okay. And it's a difficult thing. Yeah, I'm 17 years sober, been in the field for 17 years. I started working in the field with 31 days of sobriety. I'm not suggesting that to anybody, okay? But I did. Now, for the first five or six years, I could not imagine anybody working in this field and use alcohol or drugs. I just could not imagine it. It was beyond my wildest dreams. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't have any impact on their ability to counsel. I have to understand that. Very difficult to do, but I have to understand it. A certified counselor has knowledge of or observes any unethical behaviors in violation of the code of conduct that shall report the violation to the appropriate authority. This one is tough. What does that mean? In all reality, what does that really mean? Does that, does that make me all that in a bag of chips for turning somebody in? Does that make me a snitch? What does that do? This is one of the most difficult things that we have to deal with, you guys. And I have to tell you something on the side. I have, in the past 12 years, turned in probably a half a dozen of my closest friends. Can you do that? It's a tough thing to do. It's so difficult. How do you do that? How does it react? How does the rest of the staff react? What happens? Well, up until just not too long ago, you could address it anonymously with whichever certification board their certification was under. But consequently, that's all changed. And now that the Department of Alcohol and Drugs at the state level want to be notified first 
and in general would like us to follow their recommendation. Okay? That's a real touchy area and you'll see as the day goes on why. You want to keep thing, one thing in mind is that the, the code of conduct that you all have in the handout that is the state one, got their seal on it, those are minimums. Okay? All the regulations in, all, in certification and licensing are all around minimum requirements. Okay? As it stands right now, a minimum requirement is that, let me just ask this question. When is a client no longer a, a client? Two years? Okay. One year? Okay. Is that based on your code of conduct? Or the program? Or policies and procedures? Handbook? The state is one year. The state requirement is as soon as they walk out the door. They're no longer a client? They're no longer a client. As long as when they walk out the door upon discharge, they're no longer a client. Your certification may have a set of standards. Coincidentally, CASAS is a year, was two. Uh, I believe the, reg your, the writing one is a year. State is as soon as they leave, uh, upon discharge or upon completion. Client's no longer a client. And that puts a lot of uh, tough situations in place, particularly around relationships. So now you've got some conflict. You really need to look at your own programs, policies and procedures and adhere to those because after all they write the check, right? But there will always be conflict because what the state recommendation may be, may be far different than what we intend to do or what we decide as a certifying body. Now, when you take that into consideration, what happens? Say they're a certified addiction specialist under CAR, under the CAS certification, and there's a relationship issue between a client and a staff member. And that, staff, and that client's been gone for six months, right? Pretty simple. They, you can't have a relationship if the client's only been gone for six months under that certification. Under another certification, it may be two years. As far as the state is concerned, they've done nothing wrong. Because it, keep in mind, minimum requirement. So now what? What happens? The state says, there, we don't see any violation, we don't see any problem. The, the certification board says, we're gonna suspend your certification until you do 12 hours of ethics training. Then what happens? Then there's an appeal and there's all this stuff that continues to go on. It makes it a real tough situation and hopefully with the, with, when they adopt new regulations that'll be you know, level across the board, but I don't see that happening for a long time. So that person really does have the ability then to question it and it makes it real tough because it, the, val the validity of each certification is really based on what we do. It's based on our ethical behavior. It's all that stuff. We talk about model and behavior all the time. So it's gonna be real difficult for a while. Now, 
you the the reporting thing is directly to the state where in the past it was to the certification board whichever one it was I got into a uh, on a personal level I got into a circumstance or a set of circumstances I should say where I had to literally announce <laughs> to the state that one of my colleagues was having some issues okay and when and in doing that it takes the certification board out of it because they up until then were doing all the investigations and it only allows what the state to find out to to draw the conclusion so it makes it a tough place to be you got to keep in mind that the minimum requirements for, a, for the, what, as far as the state is concerned is all fine and dandy, but the one that you need to follow is the one that you sign. And that's with whatever certification board it is, right? So you're, there's going to be some conflict. So when you, on this next slide, it asks you a couple of questions, and, and very simply, and without any names or any real disclosure, yeah. Where does the county come into that? Well, the county, depending on the county, it may have its own set of codes of conduct, and it probably covers their outpatient clinic only, right? right? So if you're working in that outpatient clinic, I would highly suggest that you follow their code of conduct, even though it may the be different. Might be stricter than the state, no? I don't think so, because I think all the counties, as far as CADPAC is concerned, which is all the administrators in all 58 counties is that they follow the state requirements. I think so, yeah. One of the problems with that is, and it's not really a problem, but it is an issue that a lot of the time from a bureaucratic level, the people that are involved in, in either analyzing that or backing it up or writing it uh, have not been in the trenches on a day-to-day -day basis and they don't realize or recognize the impact. Right? Having been in the trenches for 16 or 17 years, I know what kind of impact it may have when a counselor sleeps with a client. When a counselor or when a client borrows money from a counselor. We, we feel all that stuff because we're right in the middle of it. So you always want to follow whatever the direction is dependent on the organization you're working for. Okay? That's another place where this personal prejudice and all and, and judgment comes into play. How do you how do you work in both arenas? We know the most obvious stuff that need to be reported. We all understand that having a sexual relationship with a client or or a staff member is the is taboo. We also know about the money issue. Those are all surface stuff. What else? What else? Yeah. You know, it's really funny because when everybody talks about an ethics training, <clears throat> it always seems to be the old boring stuff, black and white. But it's the fringe stuff that causes all the grief. Did everybody hear her? What do you think that that ha What do you think that her boss was talking about? From my point of view, it sounds like he was worried about their confidentiality being broken, right? On a personal note, I live in a community of less than a thousand people. There's one grocery store, one bank one liquor store and the post office. The high school is the biggest part of our town. And I worked in the field in an out, and ran an outpatient clinic for the county for about 10 years. Do you have any idea when you know everybody in town how hard it is 
to not talk to somebody at the post office because that's where we all go to find out who did what. <laughs> that's where the go that, oh, I take that back. The barber shop is the gossip central for our little town. It's no different than Mayberry. Now, how in the world am I going to be able to go about my daily life without bumping into a client or a counselor, another counselor? How do you do that? You can't. When the client initiates, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little later, but just right off the top, when the client initiates the conversation, okay, then their confidentiality is no, not the responsibility of you any longer. Now, that's not to say that you can talk about treatment waiting in line at the grocery store. But a very simple conversation with that person isn't against the regulation. And how do you avoid that in a very small town? It's difficult, really difficult to do. When you think about, what, anybody have any other ideas other than that one? Well, yes. Yeah. Safest thing to do, anytime a client wants to give a staff member a gift of some sort, have them give it to the staff. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and have it in the lobby as opposed to on your desk. Right? right? And if it's chocolate, which it may, may well be, then share it with the rest of the staff. That's a very simple way to handle it. Yeah. One of the things that you got to keep in mind is they talk about when you divulge information, who do you go to? You know, who's the point of authority? Is it your direct supervisor? Is it the administrator of the, of the deal or is it the state? In that instance, where do you go? Where, you, you understand what I'm saying? Who do you report to? Well, think about this. When, what's, what, is, what really drives what we do? A couple of things. Do no harm, right? Be fair and reasonable. That certainly doesn't sound like doing no harm to me. Encouraging people to smoke marijuana, that doesn't feel real good to me, right? And when in doubt, report. When in doubt, report. You can do it anonymously. You can do that anonymously too. Yeah, that's right. You have to you have to understand what the current what your the step the program policies and procedures are. You also have to understand what the state policies and procedures are, and above that, you have to understand what your certification bodies are. I've always told everybody to abide by the strongest one and then you're safe. Right? And you have to report up. I've been in a lot of circumstances where I couldn't report up because it was the person. So what do I do? I, next level. That's fine. It really bothers me when you start to think about ethics. <laughs> They're supposed to be black and white, and they're supposed to be set in stone, right? But anybody that works in this field knows that on a day-to-day -day basis, they got to bend. Now, I'm not saying I'm suggesting that you bend them, but I'm suggesting that you're aware of what goes on around you, because it's going to happen. There's a huge gray area, even though it's supposed to be black and white, it's in print and on paper, and you sign it. There are going to be certain circumstances and conditions, which I hope we talk a little bit about today after this first little hour, because the bottom line is it falls to interpretation. So in a circumstance like yours, their interpretation may be that you're a disgruntled employee. 
because that's the number one thing that comes up. Whenever a reporting goes on and there's circumstances around it, it was a disgruntled employee. So, as long as you report to the next level up, you're safe, right? All right. Certified counselor shall not discriminate against program participants, residents, or other staff members based on race, religion, gender, disability, national ancestry, sexual orientation, or economic condition. Anybody ever think that they may have not necessarily broken this, but bumped up against it pretty hard? If everybody in this room says that they're clear of this one, I gotta tell you something, I'll stand up here and call you a liar. Because I'm guilty as hell. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person. And it doesn't mean I, I'm guilty all the time. What it means is, I don't know that I can honestly sit here and tell you that I've never crossed this line. Think about your 12-step lifestyle. And your client may not have one. And you continue to suggest to them because they need, the, just from a, from a criminal justice point of view, let's look at it that way. Judge says this client, is, he wants his client in treatment, okay? Client comes to treatment. As part of their treatment plan, they're supposed to do three meetings a week. What does that sound like? Three AA meetings, three NA meetings, whatever that is. What I suggested that everybody do on the, on the treatment plans is to write outside support as instead of Alcoholics Anonymous meetings or Narcotics Anonymous meetings or whoever's anonymous meetings. Outside support. Now, what if that client, what, you're, you're entrenched in 12-step. You love it, it saved your life. You, you have a home group, you don't miss that meeting for nothing unless you're bleeding to death or you're out of town and then when you're out of town you're looking for one, right? Kind of like me, okay? In my personal life. Alright, so all this is going on. Client does not and cannot figure out 12-step meetings. Will not go to a 12-step meeting for the life of them. So if they're not participating in outside support, they're not following their treatment plan, and the judge can say to them, hey man, you're not following your treatment plan, you're going to be a guest of mine for the weekend. He's going to put them in jail because he's not following the treatment plan. If you use outside support, and this person, and I tell you, this, is a, this really actually happened with me. Person couldn't, couldn't go to 12-step meetings to save their life but was real active in their church. So I said, well, join the choir because the choir practiced three days a week. <laughs> Outside support, surrounded by people of like thought, right? Judge said, what a concept. I love people using drugs in church. Huh? <laughs> Not many. <laughs> well, you see, the point is... <laughs> The point is, she, she, he or she satisfied her treatment plan needs as far as the criminal justice system was concerned. And I happen to believe this happened about three years ago and they're still sober and have not yet gone to a meeting, but are real active in their church and, and now leading the choir as opposed to being in it. 
So problem solved. When you think about this though, you think about your own personal biases, your own religion. How does that work? How do you stand there or sit there across from someone knowing that 90 meetings in 90 days saved your life? Do you push that on them or do you look for another way? If you're pushing it on them, what's happening? What happens if your supervisor says, I want her in meetings? Are you going to break the code? Or are you going to find an alternative, alternative source? This happens every day, you guys. Every day. What about sexual orientation? What about economic conditions? What about their race? Ever had any circumstances where that played in your head? Does mine. Yeah. I love this one. Let's just talk about personal conduct for a second. Okay? This happens to be part of the same standard and it's all about integrity. Discuss any activities where your personal conduct can come into any question. Well, we've already talked a little bit about car. Buying and selling a car. Right? We talked a little bit about sexual relationships. What about relationships period? How does that work? Do you develop a friendship with somebody? How does that work? And none of you can sit there and tell me that you're not close to your clients because you are. And so am I. And that'll never change. Only at work? Okay. What do you do when your own personal uh, conduct finds you in a 12-step meeting and eight of your clients walk in? How do you handle it? What do you do? I find it uncomfortable on a personal note to do that. So I generally don't stay, but I, that's just me. When you think about re relationships, you think about loaning money and you're doing all these things, that casual stuff is what gets us all the time. It's really, it's, it's difficult, particularly in a small town, to deal with the casualty, the, the actual real casual stuff. I mean, I run into clients at the post office every day. <coughs> every day. But I don't make a point to have a conversation with them. And one of the things I suggested always to the counselors that I worked with was one very simple thing. On first day, explain that you're not rude, you're just not going to acknowledge them out in public spaces because it's to protect their confidentiality. Right? And if you can do that and remind that of that on one-on-one -on -one sessions, you know, for the first month or so, then it's real clear. And then you're safe. Okay. Yeah. This slide says a certified counselor shall stay cognizant of any and all cultural, ethnic, and gender issues pertaining to the population he or she is serving and will not otherwise press them to adopt beliefs and behaviors which reflect their own personal value system. I kind of touched on this a minute ago, but this is one that's real important. It's one that I think that causes the most grief. Because as I said earlier, we all have these personal prejudices. We all have uh, our own set of guidelines. Ones that drive us as a human being. Yeah. Who does this? Who does this? 
It's asking us to do something. Who stays abreast of current things? Who takes five or ten minutes to take a look on the, on the internet at some things that may be an issue? I don't see no hands going up. Mine's not going up either, though. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you, the bottom line is, I don't think many of us do this. But it sure would be helpful if we'd start. Because this one is what's going to help us take care of the other ones. Right? Let me just read that one one more time. A certified counselor shall stay cognizant of any and all cultural, ethnic, and gender issues pertaining to the population he or she is serving and will not otherwise press them to adopt beliefs and behaviors which reflect their own personal value system. When was the, when was the last time that you wrote a treatment plan with no 12-step meetings as a part of it. Yeah. Cool. Especially when you work in the special population. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you do that? If you're in sobriety, can you find a way that doesn't otherwise press them or adopt your personal beliefs? And are you really good at that? My guess is probably not, because I'm not either. I'm better at it. But I, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you really need to go to meetings. Right? <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, we all do that. So we have to be really up on it and stay, stay straight with it so that when it does occur, instead of blurting everything out that we're thinking about, we think about it and then right, go to church or whatever the case may be. I actually had one of my one of my uh, clients years ago volunteer at a food kitchen for outside support. I had him volunteer at a food kitchen for outside support. Judge said, "What a concept!" Yeah, we have people go to boys and girls clubs. Yeah. Certified counselor shall be knowledgeable about the Americans with Disabilities Act requirements and make reasonable accommodations for persons with disabilities when appropriate. Do we do that to the best of our ability? No. Certified counselor shall make appropriate referrals to an individual he she is unwilling or unable to provide adequate services to. When was the last time you did that? Do you do that on a regular basis? I'm certain nobody in this room has ever had a person they just couldn't work with. <laughs> right? There's no way. Any client coming through the door, I'm perfectly available. No. No. What's the appropriate thing to do? The simplest thing, and one that we overlook all the time because we're trying to think about really taking care of this thing, is simply to switch the client with another counselor. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. And it's, there's no harm in that. You see, I just can't work with this guy. You take him. Most of everybody in the field has, you know, we have staff meetings on a regular basis. We talk about clients. We talk about who's doing what and how to go about it. Give them to somebody else. Right? 
that's just like, you know, a person being married four or five times. And it's always the other one's fault. How can that be? The only common denominator is the person that, that isn't doing well. Right? Same thing with what we're talking about. If you have a, a client that you just, you can't connect with, you can't do anything about. And it could be personality conflict, it could be all kinds of different things. Just give them to one of the other counselors and see how that goes. For me, I would have been, I would have uh, gave her to another counselor right away. That's just me. <clears throat> because then you have two people seeing the behavior. And then that behavior can be a reason for consequences or whatever the case may be. But if it's just you and it's you struggling to make it work, you're going up against our code of conduct. At least I feel like it is. And, and there's nothing wrong with passing the person to another counselor. But if I keep fighting the battle, what are the, what's that client really getting? Are they really getting the services they need? Or is it creating harm? Or is it dysfunction? Right? So if you pass that to another counselor, then it's very simple because now you have two people seeing that behavior. And it can't be just me. You see? Yeah. Yeah. And do you document that very clearly? That's one of the things that we have problems with up and down the state is if we don't properly document the issues that are at hand, how does it ever get proved or how do we ever even be able to do anything about it if we haven't got it on paper? And if you're going to pass it to another counselor, it makes it very simple then because the counselor then reads the past history through the progress notes and is well set on what's coming at them. Okay? And their perspective or their outreach to that client may look a lot different than yours. And it could be very simply a personality thing with you. And it doesn't feel like one. It just feels like she's not doing what she's supposed to do. There could be another issue. And if that issue can be addressed with another human being, another person, you're probably going to be much better off. Absolutely. Absolutely.